All right, good morning, everyone, and welcome to the well here at STSA. So great to see all of you guys here today. As Joe said, we are in part two of a series called The Kind That Breaks. And for those who weren't here last week, we are talking about superpowers here in this series. Not the kind of superpowers that can run real fast, not the kind that can go through walls, not the kind that can fly through the air. But we're talking about a superpower that every single one of us has at our fingertips available and truly, no hyperbole intended right here, truly, this superpower can change the world and can truly save mankind because this superpower that you have access to and that I have access to and we all have access to is the kind of superpower that changes people. It changes relationships. And no matter what relationship it is, actually, the worse the relationship is, the more powerful and effective this superpower is. So the meaner your boss, the more this superpower has the opportunity to affect him. The more distant your cousin is or your brother or your son or your daughter, or whatever it may be, the more difficult the relationship, the more effective this superpower is. And that superpower is kindness. And kindness, as we talked about last week, is the most effective superpower to change people. You've, you've tried to change your children by threatening them, by lecturing them, by talking to them. But have you tried kindness? You've tried to change the situation at work by kind of powering up and asserting your authority. But have you tried kindness? You've tried to get back, maybe you've lost that loving feeling in your marriage. And you've tried by insisting on your way and demanding your way and fighting for your rights. But have you tried kindness? What we talked about last week is about how kindness truly can change the world because it can change people and it can change relationships. And that's what we're talking about here in this series. And what I said last week, in addition to kindness being able to change the world and relationships, we talked about last week is that kindness will change you. And this is the real key to this series that I hope you can, you can get. And we said last week that our happiness depends far more. And I want to emphasize far more. Our happiness depends far more on how we choose to treat others than on how others treat us. This is the opposite of what we're taught. This is the opposite of what would be like intuitive, countercultural idea. Because what we think is the reason that we're not happy is because so-and-so treats me this way. Or the reason I'm not fulfilled in life is because so-and-so gave me uh, this kind of situation, these circumstances. And we think that it's outside in, that if the circumstances and the people around me changed, then I'd be happy. And I'm telling you, it's the exact opposite. That's why kindness is a superpower. Because what kindness does is it makes me invincible against the circumstances of life. It makes me invincible against the threats and the ridicule and the whatever kind of rude behavior that may be acted upon me. Kindness makes me like bulletproof, invincible against it, and it gives me the power to control, not power to control, but power over the actions of other people and how it affects me. And to prove it, since you say, yeah, right, Father Anthony, you're just saying that because it's like your job to preach kindness and like you just, you're just saying that. It's not really true. You don't know my boss. You don't know my kids. You don't know my wife. You don't know my mom. You don't know my mother-in-law. You don't know the situation I deal with. These people, kindness doesn't work. They need the long arm of the law is what they need, all right? That's the only way to deal with these people. And if you're kind, this person will take advantage of me. So here's what we said we're going to do. We're basing this series, The Kind That Breaks, on a book called The Kindness Challenge, okay? Which talks about a 30-day challenge, which is going to begin tomorrow. We talked about this last week, but just to catch you up to speed, is that starting tomorrow, 
each one of us, or today we are going to make the decision and tomorrow we're going to start implementing that for 30 days, we are going to show kindness to one person in particular. We're each going to choose one recipient who is going to be the target of our kindness challenge. And last week I said that you can choose anybody. You can choose a spouse, okay, if you're struggling, but I don't think you should rush to choose a spouse, okay? Things are, are you should choose that relationship that you've tried to mend but haven't been able to. So it could be a situation at work. It could be a cousin. It could be a brother. It could be parents. I'll, I'll, I'll throw a big one up here. It could be your children, okay, that maybe needs a little extra kindness. It could be children to your parents. Each one of us is going to choose one person, and we are going to do three things over the next 30 days. Here's our commitment together. And we're going to talk about each of these one week at a time. But we're going to start doing all three right now. All right, but we're going to talk about the first one and then each one after that. We're going to nix negativity. We're not going to say anything negative to the person or about the person. We're going to talk about that one in a little bit. That's the subject of today, nixing negativity. We are going to not only not say the negative, we're going to do the positive. We're going to find one thing every day, one thing every day to praise this person about, to say something nice about this person to them and about them if possible as well. And third, we're going to try to do one act of kindness a day. It doesn't need to be major things, small things, unnoticeable things. Those are the best way, kind that we can uh, do. In addition to help you through these next 30 days, again, beginning tomorrow, I told you last week that you make sure you go to the website, stsa.church slash kindness, stsa.church slash kindness. There you can sign up to be part of an email list where you will get an email every day beginning tomorrow for 30 days. And that email will encourage you, remind you, give you tips on how you can carry out your kindness challenge for that day. And you can customize it because there's one like if you're doing it with your spouse, if you're doing it with a child, if you're doing it at work, and it'll give you tips. The tips here's very important. The tips are in addition to these three. So it's not like if the tip says, you know, go do this, like it's in addition to these three, but these are the three that we want to do on a daily basis beginning tomorrow. Today, we're gonna to start with the first one, nixing negativity. And I'm telling you right off the bat that of all the challenges of the three, this is the hardest one. The hardest thing that we'll do over these next 30 days is not something that we will do, but something that we will not do. And that is this. We will, for 30 days, say nothing negative, either to your person or about them to someone else. For 30 days, we will say nothing negative to the person or about the person. Easy, right? This is the hardest one. Easy thing to say is, look, Father Anthony, I'm not a negative person. I'm not a negative person. I'm just an honest person. I'm just an honest person who just tells the truth, but I'm not negative. Well, before you go down that track, let me tell you that of all the people in this room, I would have said, that's me. I don't, I'm not negative. I don't yell. I don't scream. I don't whatever. I'm a very easygoing person, right? But what I discovered in this series, feel free to disagree, is that there's a lot of negativity inside me that comes out in different ways. And what we're going to see, okay, the book speaks about seven types of negativity. I'm going to kind of combine them and shorten them, and I'm going to talk about four. But negativity isn't necessarily the way you think it is. There's different ways to express our negativity. There's the, your kid leaves his lunch at home, and you discover it after, after dropping him off at school, and it's the, ugh. There's the, your friend at work, the funny guy who makes the worst jokes, 
and he makes another bad joke, and then there's the eye roll to your coworker. There's the excuse me to the waiter where you do it with such a way that you make sure he knows that you're annoyed and the booth next to you knows that you're annoyed at him as well. Let's be honest, if we're married, it only takes a look to let our spouse know we think they're an idiot sometimes. Once you pay attention, this is my guarantee to you, once you start to pay attention to negativity and you start to say, I'm not gonna be negative and we're gonna go through these four different types, you're gonna discover there's a lot more negative there than I realize and there's a lot of junk in there which I need to clear out to truly be kind. Scripture, Philippians chapter two, verse 14, St. Paul says, do everything without grumbling or arguing. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky. St. Paul, how are we gonna shine? How are we gonna be a witness to this world? How are we gonna change the world that's full of darkness? You will do everything without grumbling or arguing. You see, if I say negativity, usually what we do is we limit our definition of negativity to what we say and what we do. We limit it to the outside, but it is clear from the scripture that God looks at the inside, not just the outside. It's clear when Jesus spoke about murder, he said, you think murder is when you stop someone from breathing, is when you stick a knife in their chest. I'm telling you, when you get angry and you curse one another, that's murder in my eyes. You think it's adultery if you sleep with someone who's not your wife or your husband. I'm telling you it's adultery if you look at them lustfully. He looks at the inside. We think I'm not negative, I didn't say anything. But what I'm saying is what, what you're grumbling and you're complaining and you're eye rolling and you're uh. All of those things are forms of negativity. And we all know somebody. And if you don't know somebody, you may be somebody. We all know somebody who's negative and just makes you feel bad. They don't say anything bad. They don't do anything that's like against the law or the Bible, but you just feel bad when you're with that person. They shoot down every idea. They're always discouraging. They never pick you up. They just make you feel bad. We don't wanna be blind to our own negativity because the consequences are a big deal. We're gonna look at a passage right now from Numbers chapter 13. Numbers in the Old Testament, it tells the story of the children of Israel. After God had freed them from bondage, they were slaves for 400 years in Egypt and they were mistreated and treated awfully. And then finally, God heard their prayer and he gave them freedom and God led them out through the 10 plagues. And he did these incredible, miraculous signs and wonders to show these are my people and you have to free them because I'm with them and I give them victory. And he did all kinds of great signs. He led them out to the front of the Red Sea. He parted the Red Sea for them and they walked through that Red Sea. And then he drowned the bad guys who were trying to chase after him. Again, to say, these are my people, I'm with them. They're in the wilderness, they were hungry, he brought bread from heaven, they were thirsty, he brought water from a rock. Whatever they needed, he took care of them and he provided for them. And then it comes time for the end of the journey. And he says, now I'm gonna let you enter a place called the promised land, a land of milk and honey. And you're going to enter there and there's gonna be bad guys, but never fear, cause I'm with you. And I've given you victory over Pharaoh, I've given you victory over all your enemies along the way, you never fear because I am with you. But there was a problem. Numbers chapter 13. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, send men to spy out the land of Canaan. That's the promised land, which I am giving to the children of Israel. He said, I'm gonna give you this land, but just go take a sneak peek at it. And they returned from spying out the land for, after 40 days and said, we went to the land where you sent us 
It truly flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. Nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified and very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. There were giant people, okay, like large, gigantic people. And he said, we are not able to go up against these people for they are stronger than we. And they gave the children of Israel a bad, parentheses, negative report of the land which they had spied out. God said, go take this land. I'm gonna give you this land. Just go see what it looks like. They came back and said, it's awful. It's bad. It's scary. There's big guys. And all they could see was the negative. They couldn't see the, even though they saw the positive, the negativity overwhelmed them. We'll pick it up in verse, in chapter 14. So all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried. And all the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron. If only we had died in the land of Egypt, or if only we had died in this wilderness. Why has the Lord brought us to this land to fall by the sword that our wives and children should become victims? Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? Joshua and Caleb, the two non-negative guys, the two positive guys, said, guys, the land we passed through despite is exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, then he will bring us into the land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord, nor fear the people of this land. He's saying, stop being negative. Stop complaining. Stop grumbling. Stop seeing just the bad. Don't you see that God is giving us this land? For they are our bread. It means we're gonna eat them for lunch today, these people. Their protection has departed from them and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. Their response was what? And the congregation said to stone them with stones. And that congregation never saw the promised land again. And Joshua and Caleb entered the promised land, but they didn't. And this is a good metaphor for life because God has great promises for all of us. One of which, just I said in the beginning, is to be happy, okay? Our happiness, our satisfaction, our fulfillment, our quality of life will be determined by our ability to get past the negative. Those who couldn't get past the negative never fulfilled God's plan for their life. They never found satisfaction. They never found the promised land. And those who were able to get past the negativity enter the land with milk and honey. And I think that's a good picture of our lives as well. And you say, but my life is full of challenges. I don't know how I can be not negative. My life is difficult. The promised land was difficult, but I got enemies. The promised land had enemies, but there's difficulties. The promised land had difficulties. I'm not saying none of that stuff is true. I'm not saying close your eyes and don't see the negative. But what I'm saying is see greater than the negative that God is with us. And that if we do not rebel and if we do not fear, then God will give victory. I wrote this on your handout. Nixing negativity, which is our challenge for this week, is not about denying reality. It's not about denying reality. It's about focusing on the positive parts of the reality. I'm not telling you to deny the reality. I'm telling you to focus on a different part of the reality, which is God's presence, and which is the positive, and that'll have greater impact on you than you realize. So with that said, let's jump in. Four types of negativity. Our challenge is going to be no negative this week to the person and about the person. Again, you'll see why that's important in a second. Four types of negativity, we'll go through each one of them. If you try to be kind all these 30 days and you're still negative, kindness poured into a bucket with negative is like water into a bucket with holes in it. We need to plug up the negativity so that when the kindness goes in, then it builds itself up. But we need to be very careful about these. And I'm going to, with every one of these negative uh, tendencies or, or options or whatever you call it, 
Um, I put a little line next on the handout for you to give yourself a grade. And I want you to be honest. Give yourself a grade. And as you grade yourself, come up with whatever scale you want, one to five, one to 10, A, B, C, I don't really care. But evaluate yourself based mostly on patterns, not one-time things. Because all of us are gonna go through these at a certain point in time. All of us will complain at time, all of us. But more important is the patterns. And when you find that one of them is kind of your pattern, give yourself a score, star that one, and pay special attention to that throughout this coming week. Y'all ready? Number one, exasperation. Exasperation. Exasperation, as the picture shows, this is the, look, I'll be honest with me, rarely do you see me get angry. My, my, my family can attest to this. I don't get angry, I don't yell, I don't, not into that, that's not me. But I can let off an exasperated sigh with the best of them. Ah. Uh, you thought that would be a good idea? Who's the genius who thought this would work? Where is your homework, son? I'll just be honest. Sometimes you don't need to say anything. It's just the name. Lizzie! Michael! Exasperation. You may not say it with your voice, but with the tone, you are saying, you are a nuisance to me. You are a burden to me. Your existence brings me stress and headache. And no one wants to convey, it's not, like things we would never convey with our words, we convey them with our tone when we have exasperation. Now let's dig a little into this one and I'll spend a little bit of time on this one because like I said, I'm an expert on exasperation. Why is it we get so frustrated? Why is it that little things exasperate us the way that they do? You have to understand the problem in order to be able to solve it. And I'll tell you what I think the answer is. I think what it comes down to is selfishness on our part. Because the person in front of us who has made whatever mistake they have made, or we are reacting as if it's ugh, has now become an inconvenience to my day, to my schedule. Now I have to go all the way back home and pick up what you left at home. Now I have to delay my schedule. Now we said we'd be ready at eight. Now we're not ready at eight. Now you have totally destroyed my perfect plan for the day. And what we have done is we made ourselves, we made that person an inconvenience to us. And we've told them, my convenience is more important than your feelings. My schedule, my being efficient with my day is more important than how you feel right now. That's why with every one of these, we're gonna come up with a solution. With every form of negativity, what's the, what's the kryptonite, okay, that works against it? What's the, the counter, the, the antidote for it? The antidote for exasperation is get some perspective. We need to get a little perspective. And what I mean by that is sometimes we need to take a step back and say, hey, wait a minute. What am I so frustrated about? Like I said, I... The recipient for me of my exasperation is often my children. And parents, I'm gonna call you out on this one. Don't, don't, don't skip over the fact that, that you may need to be more kind to your child. Okay, because sometimes it's easy to say, I'm the parent, they're the kid, they need to respect. Well, maybe we need to teach them kindness by our actions. And that's for me, that's, like that, uh, that's me. Yes, my son may not have cleaned his room. Yes, uh, my daughter may not have gotten up on time. Yes, maybe no one ate the broccoli tonight at dinner. But like, let's gain a little perspective. None of them are on drugs. None of them are, like my, my boy's in middle school, he's not impregnating girls. He loves God, he hates the Cowboys. Like what more could you ask for, okay? 
Like, he's a good kid. And yes, what they did is an inconvenience, and yes, it is a burden. But let's be honest. Let's get a little perspective on the situation. Let me go at you, young people as well. Not young, all of us, to be honest. How about with our parents? Oftentimes, our parents are the recipients of our exasperation when we get a little bit older. And you get frustrated because you know what? Your mom is overbearing. And your mom calls you all the time. And every time she calls, she asks you, when are you going to get married? When are you going to get married? So you, you get annoyed. Absolutely. And yes, absolutely. She's overbearing. But she's given her life for you. Anytime you leave town, she dogs at your stupid dog that she hates. She has spent more money on you than you will ever spend on your own children. Give a little perspective. Proverbs chapter 19, verse 11. Good sense makes one slow to anger and it is his glory to overlook an offense. Sometimes we take a step back and say, hey, wait a minute. Yeah, this is annoying. But let's look at the big picture right here. And in the end, I got the best kids. I got the best parents. Yeah, my boss isn't perfect, but you know what? Treats me with respect. Yeah, my job's not the best situation, but you know what? Puts food on the table. Sometimes we need a little perspective. And again, I'm not denying the reality. I'm telling you to focus on the reality and see the true reality and the positive that is in there. I'm just gonna harp on the parents one more time. I'll read you a story right here that, 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 that hit me. And if you're a parent, this will hit you too. This is talking about a mom who was dealing with her children with exasperation. And it says the effect of it, it says right here. It says, when I started being attuned to this issue, I saw that there had been those times where he spilled a glass of milk and he's looked at me almost cowering almost cowering like, oh man, mom's going to be so mad. And it was like being punched in the stomach. I saw the effects of my anger leaking out on him when, I, when it never should have been. So I've been really working on not being negative or irritated. For example, after dinner, if he leaves his plate on the table, instead of taking it to the kitchen like he knows he should, I used to get irritated and say, Ben, you know you're supposed to take your plate. Why did you leave that there? And so on. But now I say, oh Ben, it looks like you forgot your plate. And instead of dragging in all the emotion of why he did or why he didn't, I just state the fact, and it is really clear that some of the changes that have happened with me are positively impacting him. Listen to this, parents, this is tough. He's a happier child now. He's a happier child now. He's more open, more affectionate, more willing to admit when he's done something wrong. So maybe the problem isn't our kids. Maybe the problem is us. Give yourself a grade how you grade yourself on exasperation. Number two, complaining. Complaining. We all complain at times. We're all dissatisfied with certain situations. We all wish things were different. But complaining is the most counterproductive thing that you can do about a negative situation. Anything you do other than complain can help fix the situation. Complaining is the most counterproductive thing. Focusing on what I don't have versus what I do. Focusing on what that person did wrong versus what they did right. Focusing on what is missing versus what I have is the most counterproductive thing that you can do. And doing so often justifies our unkindness. We think when we complain, we complain, we complain, we have a right to be unkind. And that simply isn't true. Now, let me go off on a little bit of a tangent, but you'll see where I'm going with this thing. What about venting? What about letting off some steam? Isn't it better to vent and to let off some steam versus as the expression is to have the kettle boil over? Can I be honest? 
Can I be very honest? Venting, what you call venting, what you justified as venting is the most negative and hurtful thing you do to yourself. And we allow this idea of venting to, to have a, a license to spread negativity and to spread all kinds of bad stuff. And like I said, give ourselves a license to be unkind, all in the name of venting. Let's reframe venting a little bit right here. And let me tell you a little bit different way of viewing venting. Does venting, does convincing your girlfriend that your husband is a slob make him any less of a slob? Does convincing all of your coworkers that the boss is an idiot make him less of an idiot? Does complaining about the situation in the world, whatever it may be, change anything in the world? It does. It changes you. It makes you a worse person. It makes you more likely to be unkind. It makes you more likely to be negative and spread negativity and make the world a worse place. If we're honest, sorry to say it, if we're honest, when we vent, our goal isn't to feel better. Our goal isn't to make the world better. Our goal, if we're honest, is to justify our anger and our bad actions and our unkindness towards this person. We vent, we complain to justify what I'm about to do, what I'm about to say about this person. Don't believe me that venting makes it worse? This book speaks about a study called the Zimbardo study. 1971, Stanford University. Psychologist there wanted to study the impact of incarceration on normal people. So what he wanted to do is recreate a prison environment, okay? And what they did is they turned the base, like some room in the, in the basement, okay, into a prison. They made it like, a, like a, a real prison and they chose people. They randomly selected a whole bunch of people and some of them were gonna be guards and some were gonna be prisoners. They tested everyone to make sure everyone was healthy, psychologically, as well as physically, and they put them in these roles and they told them what to do. It was supposed to be a three-week study on the effects of being incarcerated on prisoners and on guards. They had to shut it down after six days. You know why? Because the guards, not the prisoners, the guards were having a breakdown. The guards, I'm gonna read to you what it says right here straight from the study. The guards basically started to lose control of, the, of themselves. It says the following, the words and behaviors that the guards used to control the prisoners so thoroughly altered their feelings about the prisoners and their own authority that they became aggressive, even sadistic, and the prisoners were being seriously mistreated. What does that prove? You took a group of people, all random people, said, okay, you guys are gonna pretend to be prisoners, you guys are gonna pretend to be, or sorry, guards and prisoners, and you guys are gonna say the following words to them. And you're gonna tell them, you go here, boy, and you do this, son, and you go over and you're gonna speak down to them like that, and you're gonna treat them a certain way. And these people who you have no feelings towards, you just met them, hi, my name is so-and-so. Now these people who you have no feelings towards, now after six days, you are acting towards them in a sadistic, aggressive way that they have to shut down the thing. What does that teach us? That teaches us that our emotions, we think our behavior comes from our emotions. And I'm saying the opposite, our emotions come from our behaviors. They felt angry, you know why? Because they spoke angry words. And the more that they spoke angry words, the more that they felt angry. And the more that they spoke down to these people, the more they thought that they were this. Before saying the words, the feelings were neutral. After saying the words, the feelings were awful. And what that teaches us, our behavior and our language, our language and our behavior shapes how we feel, not the opposite way. 
We think I'm saying this because it's how I feel. No, I promise you. And I'm telling you, that's why this is the most important week in this challenge. Do it for this week. I promise you, I promise you, I promise you, promise you, promise you. Go one week without being negative and I promise you, you'll feel better about your life. I promise you. I promise you, you feel more joy in your life. I promise you, you feel lighter about your burdens. I promise you, because it's not your feeling that comes, that's not your feeling that leads to your action. It's your actions that lead to your feeling. I'll give you another statistics. This is from the book, okay? That, that, she did, uh, that she did this kindness challenge for 30 days and she did all kinds of studies based on it and all kinds of research. And amongst, this is specifically among married couples who did this challenge for two weeks. And they found married couples who started this study by saying there's room for our improvement, room for improvement in our marriage. Among those couples who did it for two weeks, just two weeks, spouses who said their own enjoyment of the relationship improved, their own enjoyment. So they stopped being negative towards a spouse and they said, I'm enjoying this relationship more because of their own behavior. 67% of the people said that their own enjoyment changed after two weeks, just two weeks. The bottom one, spouses who said they were happy in their marriage before the challenge, 37%. After the challenge, 72%. What does that say to us? Let me speak very bluntly. Stop believing the lie that you have to speak about every thought and feeling that you have. Stop believing the lie that just because I had a thought, I gotta get it out. I gotta talk to somebody. There is a place for venting. I'm not saying that there's no place for it. There absolutely is, but we have abused that. Okay, and where there is a place for venting and where there is a place for getting it out, we have abused that. And we do all kinds of horrible things and negativity in the name of venting. Stop believing the lie. Just because you got a bad thought or a bad feeling doesn't mean you need to tell the person in the cubicle next to you. Even doesn't mean you need to tell your spouse. They say, wait a minute, we keep secrets from our spouse. I'm not saying keep secret from your spouse. What I'm saying is stop thinking about it. It's stop going over it in your mind. I'm saying not keep a secret. I'm saying get it out of here. Stop talking about it because the more you talk about it, the more it ingrains it into your skull. Nice quote here from William James. It says, refuse to express a passion and it dies. If we wish to conquer undesirable emotional tendencies in ourselves, we must assiduously and in the first instance, cold-bloodedly go through the outward motions of those contrary dispositions we prefer, prefer to cultivate. Let's say that in plain English. What he's saying is, fake it till you make it. But he's not actually saying fake it till you make it. I wanna say it a slightly different way because I don't believe in fake it till you make it. What he's saying is motion creates emotion. Motion creates emotion. Meaning go through the motions. Stop saying the negative. Say positive, act kindly, and watch what it does to your emotions. Kindness, like everything in life, practice makes perfect. We need to practice being kind and practice being not negative. And the opposite is true. The more you are unkind, the more you are negative, the easier it becomes to continue in that route. Think of your emotions, that was from like that quote, as a fire inside you. As a fire inside you, you wanna get rid of this negativity? Stop giving it air. The more you talk about the negativity, that breathes air onto the fire, it gets bigger. The more you shut your mouth and you stop talking about it, the more the fire eventually will die down. And you wanna know how to really make a fire die down? You pour water on it. And what's the water? That's the kindness, okay?
That's number two. So we did exasperation, give yourself a grade. We did complaining, venting, letting off steam, give yourself a grade. Number three, suspicion or catastrophizing. And I'm gonna talk about them both together. The book speaks about them separate, but I'm gonna lump them together. Suspicion is when you don't trust the person. You always think that no matter what, they're up to no good, or he's gonna drop the ball, or she's not gonna fulfill what she said she would do. And it's not giving the person the benefit of the doubt. Catastrophizing takes it to the next extreme, all right, which says that because they're gonna drop the ball, because she doesn't care, because he's irresponsible, therefore, it's the end of the world. And it's going to be an absolute disaster. And my children will never get a, 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 a decent job. And, and, and my, my marriage will always be a disaster. And I'm never gonna advance in my career and making the worst of it, whatever it may be. The hard part with suspicion and catastrophizing, and I know this is hard, so I, I, I understand what I'm about to say. This is hard. You're going to say, the reason I am suspicious of him is because every time I've asked him to do something, he drops the ball. I said, you got this. He said, I got it. Then he dropped the ball. I said, you take care of the house while I'm gone. He said, I'm gonna take care of the house. Came home, the kids didn't eat. The food is on the ceiling and the cat pooped on the, on the carpet. So I have reason to believe that every time he says he's got it, he drops the ball. I understand. I have reason to believe that every time my boss says he's gonna do this, I, I totally got you. But even though you have that past experience, I'm gonna challenge you for 30 days, for 30 days to do the following, and this is gonna be very hard. For 30 days, for 30 days only, and then go back to being your miserable, suspicious self. For 30 days, choose to find the most generous explanation. Suspicion, meaning for the past, catastrophizing, meaning for the future. Choose to find the most generous explanation of what's going to happen if my husband, or if my boss, or if my cousin, or if, choose to find the most generous explanation. Choose to find the most generous explanation to explain why this happened, or why this didn't happen, just for 30 days. Choose to stop assuming that he doesn't care about you. Stop assuming that your boss is trying to sabotage you. Stop assuming that when your mother or your father says that, that they think that you're incompetent. Choose the most generous explanation for 30 days that not everything is personal, not everything is a shot at me. Choose for 30 days to believe the most generous explanation. Why? For those who are here, maybe six months ago or something like that, we did a series called Into the Wild. Y'all remember that series? It was about marriage, for those who remember. And in that series, one of the things I talked about was a study that was done that relates what is it that makes people happy in marriage. And this was a study specifically to marriage, but I think it applies, you can extrapolate it out. And specifically, it was talking about wives, okay? And what is the difference between a happy wife and an unhappy wife in marriage? And it boiled down to the, the, the one thing that this author believed was the number one thing based on his study. And he said, won't go through all of it again, but basically what he did is he asked a group of husbands, tell me how you rank yourself in these areas, you know, responsibility or friendliness or whatever, all these positive qualities. How do you rank yourself? And then he asked their wives, how do you rank your husband in these qualities? You know the difference between the happiest couples and the not so happiest couples? 
the happiest couples were where the wives saw their husbands as higher than even the husbands saw themselves. So I grade myself uh, six on friendliness and my wife graded me an eight. I grade myself, you know, uh, eight on responsibility and my wife saw me as a nine. The happiest couples were the ones where the wife saw the husband higher than he saw himself, which is not an easy feat, by the way, if you have a husband, okay? Because he, he sees himself pretty high. But the happiest couples were those where the wife found the most generous explanation for her husband's behavior, character, whatever it may be. And I'll read you a quote right here. For some reason, the wife in a highly rewarding relationship consistently credited her husband with qualities that he didn't think he had. And then he said this, putting these conclusions together, this controlling insight can serve as the one thing you need to know about happy marriage. Find the most generous explanation for each other's behavior and believe it. Find the most generous explanation for why your husband, whatever, or why your sister, whatever, or why your mother would possibly, or why your daughter would act this way. Find the most generous explanation and believe it. You know why this is so important? Because we as human beings are a lot more influenceable than we realize. And we act the way people treat us. So we get treated as criminal, we act as criminal. We get told you'll never amount to good and we will never amount to good. We're told how dumb we are and how stupid we are and how unsuccessful we will be and that's how we will act. Where's the opposite? You believe in that person that you're doing this kindness challenge. You believe in them. You choose to believe the best, not assume the worst. And maybe their behavior will follow suit. Give yourself a grade. Suspicion, catastrophizing. The last one, and the most deep-seated of all, is resentment. And resentment is, resentment is not just you're annoyed at a person, but you find yourself repeatedly annoyed at just this person. Like at work, you bend over backwards for anybody and you'll do anything. But then this person, and you, for this sister, for this brother, for this child, but your mother, there's a different standard there, that there's someone that you're repeatedly always annoyed at, that you're repeatedly always frustrated with. And when that's a situation that is just that person, then most likely what there is, is there's something deeper on the inside, which is resentment or bitterness. Now, again, like with all the others, few will admit it. We never admit our resentment. No, it's that person's fault. And that person did. And you don't know what that person. And we can find a million reasons. And I, again, I'm not trying to deny the reality, but I'm trying to focus on other parts of the reality as well. As I told you guys before, oftentimes what I see when I know there's resentment is when someone comes to me and says, so-and-so did this, okay? And I can evaluate that and say that by itself, that's a minus two. That action, that's a minus two. But your reaction was a minus 10. So yes, what they did is wrong for sure. But it was not a minus 10 wrong. It was not a throw his stuff out the window wrong. It was not a hold a grudge like this wrong. Like, yes, it was wrong, but it was a minus two. And you're at minus 10. So that minus, there's, a, there's an eight in there that's somewhere else. I don't know where that eight's coming from. That eight is coming from something on the inside. Which that person hurt me and they should pay. What's that person? I'm gonna get even with that person. I'm not gonna let that person get away with it. And that's what resentment is all about. Not denying the reality, but admitting the full reality. 
Ephesians chapter four, verse 30. Listen to this verse, and then we'll read the verse after, which don't seem to be connected, but I'll show you why they're connected. St. Paul says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Don't make him sad. Say, what's gonna make him sad? Adultery, lust, murder, hypocrisy, like all these bad things. Like what are we possibly doing to grieve him? Next verse. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Basically he's saying, nix the negativity and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Now, we're gonna spend one entire session at the end of this, okay, the last, okay, the last message of this series. We're gonna talk specifically about forgiveness because forgiveness is the key to long-term kindness. And if we're really gonna be kind-hearted people, then we're gonna need to learn forgiveness. So I'm gonna kind of overlook the forgiveness aspect of this now. We're gonna circle back to that, like I said, in week five. But what I see right here, what bitterness does, bitterness gets me to focus on what this person did and this person did and this person did. And I become blind to my own lack of kindness and to the hurt that I'm causing to someone else. Again, I wanna read you a story right here, just an excerpt from, from her, one of her studies where she did, or someone who did this kindness challenge was did it with their mother. And this person had been bitter and resentful towards their mother for, for years because of something that happened as a child. And what happened as a child, okay, hurt this person, but this person was blind to how they were responding to it. And listen to what she says, okay, after doing the 30-day challenge. It says, through this process, I've become more conscious of my own faults, not just those of my mom. It is quite easy for children to see the faults of their parents, but it is more difficult to see your own faults and how you have treated your parents. This has reminded me that she did a lot for us growing up, taking care of us on her own. There was a, it came from a divorced family, I think. There's a lot to be thankful for. If I'm honest, I've let her down. It will make a difference to tell her and ask for forgiveness, but it also makes a difference for me since the realization that I had messed up hadn't even been a category of thought until now. Did you catch what she said? This whole time, I'm angry at my mom for something she did. And I spent the last however many years acting rudely and unkindly and never even thought that I could be part of the problem. So if you're resentment, here's your homework assignment. Focus on my part in the problem. Focus on my part. Easy to see what that person did to you. And I'm telling you, I agree, that person hurt you. But let's look in the mirror here and let's see how we've treated that person. And let's see how we've treated other people. Let's not just blame our parents, my parents did. Let's look at how we treat our parents. Let's not just look at our kids, they don't respect them. Let's see if we respect them. Let's not just look at our coworkers, our friends, or our brothers, or our sisters, and see what they haven't done for us. Let's see what we haven't done for them. Because we don't want to walk around with this kindness blindness, as if the whole world revolves around us, and everyone is expected to be kind to me, and I don't have any obligation to be kind to anybody else. Focus on your part in the problem, and don't just see what other people do. Last verse. I'm sorry, give yourself a grade on the resentment. Okay, give yourself an honest grade on the resentment where you classify yourself. Last verse, and then a reminder about our challenge. Matthew chapter six, verse 22 and 23. Jesus says it, he kind of sums it up for us. He says, look, the lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore 
the light that is in you is darkness. How great is that darkness? The lamp of the body is the eye. What do you fill your eyes with? What do you see when you look at that person in your kindness challenge? You see negative? You say negative? You talk negative? All you see is negative? Then I'm telling you, your whole body will be full of darkness. Because if all you see is dark, then you will be dark. And you'll have all the reasons in the world to blame that person and to blame that person. In the end, you will be miserable. And you will be the one who will be a slave to your own negativity. But the one who chooses to say, you know what? I will be full of light. I will see positive. There isn't a soul on this planet who I can't see good in. And yes, there may be negative. Hey, look, let's be honest. I got negative in me. You got negative in you. What I hope from you and what you hope from me is that you see the positive in me and you kind of overlook the negative. And that's what I want from you and that's what you want from me. We all got negatives. And we're not here to sit here and point out each other's negatives. What we're here to do is accentuate the positives. Yes, your child may not be perfect, but he's got positives. Focus on the positive. Feed the positive. Your mom may not be perfect. Your dad, your sister, your brother, your coworker, your cousin, your, your priest. Focus, we're gonna choose to focus on the positive and not on the negative, and then we will be the ones who will be full of light. You got the challenge? 30 days, beginning tomorrow. We will not say anything to or about the person that is negative. We will not say, we will not complain, we will not eye roll, we will not gasp in disgust. We will not say or think anything negative about this person. Just before we, I let you go, most probably as we set out on this journey, you will fall at some point. You may fall before you get to your car in the parking lot, but that's okay. The person who's on the diet to lose the, the 10 pounds, if they fall, you know the difference between the ones who will find success and the ones who won't? The ones who will classify the fall as, you know what? Quick mistake, made a mistake, get back up on that horse. It was a lapse. And you know the ones who will never get back up? The ones who classify it as a relapse. Say, you know what? This can never work. This is too hard. I can't do it. Don't be that second kind. We're going to set out here. And by the way, Sign up for the email as well. Go to sdsa.church kindness. Sign up for the email because that'll also be a daily reminder to help us and encourage us to not say anything negative. But I'm guaranteeing you this. We may mess up, but if we mess up, we'll get right back up on that horse. We will do our best. And I am promising you, promising you, promising you, if you are faithful and you do your part, I promise you, you will see results from these next 30 days. You won't see results in three days but you will see results if you're committed to doing it for 30 days, I promise you. And if, I, if, if, I, if you do it faithfully and don't come, and don't come back to any, any results, come tell me and I'll, I'll, I'll let you give the talk or whatever it may be, okay, the following, okay, which may not be present, but I'll do something for you, okay? But that's how confident I am that when we trust that do what God tells us to do, we will see the results, all right? Excited about the challenge? Everybody excited? Everybody know who their person is? All right, very good. Let's stand up and say a prayer together. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and God, amen. Heavenly Father, as we stand here at the, at the start of this 30-day journey, Lord, we're going not in our own power, but knowing that you are the one who is calling us and leading us and telling us to go forth and inherit this new land, a land full of peace in our relationships. 
And I pray that you'd give us the strength to be kind and to really see where, what areas we're negative in. And I pray that through these next 30 days, but especially these next seven, that you'd really help us to get rid of the negativity and to see where it is and to uproot it so that our, our eyes can, and our whole bodies can be full of light. We pray this in the name of your son with the prayers of all your saints. Here says we pray thankfully, our father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus, our Lord, thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever. Amen.